All right, Psalm 142, Psalm 142. You want to turn there or grab your handout? Eight short verses. If you have ever found yourself or find yourself in a season of, uh, of loneliness, this is a psalm for you. We've all found ourselves there at one time or another in our lives. Perhaps some of you find yourself there even now. How does the Word of God instruct us during times like this? Psalm 142, as we normally do. Let's go ahead and read Psalm 142 uh, before we pray together. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you guide us as we look in your word that we give, receive comfort, assurance, and hope uh, because of who you are and what you've revealed to us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Before we jump in, as we read through Psalm 142, is there anything that you noticed, observed, as we read? Say that again. He is, and we see crying out several times throughout here, and he's asking for that protection and deliverance. Linda. In my Bible, it has here a mass scale of David mm -hmm. when he was in the cave mm -hmm. and for prayer. <laughs> yes, yeah, and we'll look into what, what exactly might be the setting uh, for that. Justin. It's very personal to the individual. It is. It's very, very personal. Yeah. Lonely. It's very lonely. Yeah, yeah. And he does not uh, hide that fact. He, he's very honest about that. Good. Yes? He sounds depressed to me. Mm -hmm. He does. He does. Um, especially when it talks about how he's right there in verse 2. He's just pouring out his complaint before God. His spirit is faint within him. And, and really that is the idea of feeling completely overwhelmed with life. <coughs> Anything else you notice? Yeah, and yeah, verse 4 at the very end, those five words down there, no one yes. cares for my soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps perhaps that when we got to that line, uh, you can think of moments in your life where that you felt that very thing. Right? You're going through a lot and you're like, I just I just feel like no one no one cares. Uh, no one sees, right? Stephanie. It seems like also it's in the midst of that he realizes that God is there. Mm-hmm. Because he said you're my refuge. Yeah. And in fact, yeah, he does. Yeah, verse 3, when my spirit faints within me, you know my way. 
You're there, and then it talks about you being my refuge. Yeah, so there's some hope. There's some depression, there's some honesty, uh, but you see him focusing on hope. Adam? Um, I can't help but notice that this is in... Maskil? Yeah, that. Yes. <laughs> I think, I was going to look up what that meant. I, I think it has, it's some type of correct term. It might mean something like beautifully played. Does anyone know? We're about to find out. <laughs> yeah? A contemplation. So I think I might have heard dirge. Maybe. We should have just kind of... Yeah, yeah, it's good. We should have chanted this psalm when we are reading through it. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's dig into the psalm, see what it has for us. Let's look a little bit about the circumstance. It says that he was in the cave. Now, if... if, if this was something that he actually wrote while he was in the cave. Um, if this is the background for it, what could he be referring to? What time in his life could he be referring to? Well, generally speaking, what time of his life was he in caves? Running from Saul. Running from Saul. Okay, so that really matches well with the, the tone of this psalm. There's two different times that we read in Scripture where David is in a cave. Uh, one time is in 1 Samuel 24, uh, and the second one, uh, actually, let me do these in, in order, 22 and 24, all right? Uh, 1 Samuel 22 is he's in the cave of Adullam, and then Samuel, 1 Samuel 24, he's in the cave of En Gedi. Uh, what's going on in these two stories? Let me actually start with, with, Psalm, uh, with 1 Samuel 24, and uh, you can tell me if you think this is a fitting, fitting context for this psalm. Um, in Engedi, this is the story that we usually think of when, Saul's, when, Saul, when David's in a cave. Uh, this is where David spares Saul's life, cuts the corner off of his robe. Um, but I don't think this is the most likely scenario uh, for, for the psalm. Why do I think that? Well, he's, he's with his mighty men at this time, right? So he's not alone in the cave. Um, for psalm 142 talks about being completely alone, and, and he's not in this case. But what about psalm, 1 Samuel 22, the cave of Adullam? Well, in 1 Samuel 21, David had been taking refuge in the Philistine city of Gath, right? So he's on the run from Saul, and he's so desperate and so looking for a place of refuge that he actually hides in an enemy city. And then the people of the town realize who David is, and so David pretends to go insane in order to get them to put him out of their town, right? They, he's drooling all over his beard. He's scratching on the gate of the, of, the, of the town. And then we read in chapter 22, verse 1, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And to me, this seems like a fitting time in his life when he writes this song. Especially when you think of the idea of refuge. He's seeking refuge. He's seeking protection. And, and he's so desperate, he, he seeks refuge in his own enemy's town. And then he flees from there. And now he's alone in a cave. And it's actually in this cave that the 400 men end up joining him. But at first, he finds himself alone in this cave with no one to help. It's just him. We don't know how long he's in the cave until other people join him. Um, but, but it's most likely, I think, that it's during this time that this psalm is written. In verses 1 and 2, the psalmist is describing what he's doing. 
And he's not, sometimes when, when he, there's a prayer in the psalm, he actually, we see his actual prayer. Oh, Lord, help me. I cry out to you, oh, Lord. But this is almost like a description. It's like a narrative. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him, and I tell my trouble before him. I think this is actually instructive. I think the psalmist is instructing us about the importance of bringing our trouble and complaints to God. We see really the, the desperation and intensity of this cry. How do we see the desperation and intensity of the cry in verses 1 and 2? Yeah, yeah, I plead. That is, a, that is a term of desperation, absolutely. What else? Pour out. You're just, it, it's this image of you being just filled up with complaint, with lament, and you're just pouring it out of your mouth before him. What else? Yeah, cry. I cry out. Um, There's a flavor of him doing it over and over, continuously. Like, yeah. On and on and on. Yeah, I mean, each line kind of is repeating the same thing. And in fact, with my voice is, is twice, right? With my voice, with my voice. You know what that means? I mean, it means this is audible. He is crying out. This is not a silent prayer. He is, he is, he is crying out the top of his lungs to God. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but if you've done that, Right? If you've actually audibly cried out to God in prayer, most likely you're in a desperate, overwhelmed state. And you're crying out to him. You're, you're pleading for mercy. You're pouring out your complaint. He is, you're telling of your trouble. Verse 2 also kind of describes the specificity. I pour out my complaint, my lament. Right, So we can say this is the content of his prayer. He's telling God everything that's wrong. He's telling God exactly what's going on in his life. He is just pouring out his complaint. Tell, right here, this word, I tell, is the idea of show or declare. He's telling God all of his troubles. And so he's, he's listing it out. God, this is going wrong. I'm feeling this way. This, is, this person's against me. This person's against me. And he's pouring this out. He's not holding back. He's so urgent and in desperate that he's crying out audibly. And, God, and the psalmist is going to God in prayer, going down his list of complaints. You know, I think it's important for us to consider this truth from Scripture. Because again, this is instructive. Strong believers complain to God. Why does it take strong faith to complain to God? Okay, so you have a confidence in who he is, right? Good. You have a confidence that he loves you, that he understands why you're complaining. Yeah, because so it, does, it does take, if you're, if you're going before an authority, a powerful figure, Complaining, pouring out your complaints, that shows a confidence that, that, that he has a love for me. He will hear me, right? He won't turn me away. Justin? Because you have a relationship. Yeah, exactly. You know, I hear that word pour out. I remember a time in my life that was wrong or hurtful, mm -hmm. and I was kept it all together until I talked to my dad and mom. And then it just. As soon as yeah. I heard their voice, it was like, boom. Yep. And that's kind of what this is here. Just as soon as you know that you're going to talk to the Lord, it's just curious. 
Yeah, yeah. And we learned later, there was no one else, yeah. right? And, and so we all know that, that just how nice it is to be able to pour out everything that's on your heart to a person. There's no people here. There's no one to do that to. And so what does he do? He pours it out to God. Michael? Shows a recognition that he can't solve the problem himself. Good. Okay, so, so strong faith, right? Strong faith uh, realizes he is able, I am not. And in fact, pride can hold on to your complaints while humility pours them out. We, we, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Have you ever seen the connection between those two verses? You humble yourself by casting your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's actually a humble thing to do that. It is a prideful thing to hold it back. In the case of confident faith also, you go through something dramatic in your life. If you don't have a strong faith, you can start questioning mm-hmm. things and doubting things. So an indication that it's a strong faith is when you pour it out to the Lord. Yeah, and, and doubt often comes when all of these complaints just swirl around in your own head, right? Absolutely. Any other thoughts there? Yeah, Linda. Do you feel or know is David's not fully aware why Saul is doing all these things to him? I mean, he may know, but it's still he can't believe it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a level of why. Why is Saul doing this? Right? I'm sure there's a level of understanding of why he's jealous. You know, he's got the spirit has left him. He's um, but yeah, I'm sure there's an element. It's like why? Why? This one that, that actually took me into his kingdom and, and, I, and I served him is doing this. So there's probably a lot of confusion there. Um, so he's, he's, he's crying out to God. He's complaining to God. And then verses 3 and 4, we start to see more specifically what David is experiencing. Verse 3 tells us that his trouble is so severe that his spirit is fainting within him. In the King James, you have King James, or you have, if we have the, the, the NASB, uh, what word do you have there? You should have overwhelmed. Right? The Hebrew is like to become weak or without strength. So whatever he's experiencing, it's wearing him out. It's overwhelming him. He has a faint, overwhelmed spirit. No strength left. But then in verse 3, we see something really interesting. He continues to go along in verses 3 and 4 to talk more about his complaint and his trouble and his loneliness, specifically in verse 4. But, but, but the next line of verse 3 is like this little glimmer of hope. It's a little glimmer of truth. What is it? You know my way. He's going to go right back to his path and how it's full of traps that his enemies have set for him. He's going to talk about his loneliness and no one's there to care for him. But right in this moment, he just says, you know. You know. God is aware when you are overwhelmed. In fact, we saw just last week when we studied through Psalm 139 just how much God knows about you. He knows when you're wearing thin. He knows when you're about to give up. He knows when your spirit is fainting. And it's this truth that's going to really fuel David's prayers especially in the second half of the psalm. 
In other words, he's, he's not complaining to God because he believes God is uninformed of his trouble. He is not complaining to God because God does not know what his problem is. He's complaining to God because he does know, because he does see. So in your overwhelming moments, when you can't find much comfort in anything, when you're just waiting for God to act, you can at the very least acknowledge this fact. God is aware. And there, there's so many more things you want God to do. You want God to answer this prayer, this prayer, this prayer, this prayer. And, that, and absolutely. But at the very least, what do we know? God is aware. He's not blind to what you're experiencing. And while there are still questions that need to be answered, you're still waiting for God's mercy, you can at least take solace in the fact that God knows. But in the second half of verse 3, he acknowledges yet another danger. In the path where I walk, they, his enemies, have hidden a trap for me. So while God still knows his path, I don't feel completely safe. Right? I, I, while God knows my path, that path is still hidden with dangers. So he's still, he's still fearful. He still needs help. And so he has a knowledge that God is aware, but he still recognizes his danger. And then verse 4, he gets to the core of what he's struggling, and here we'll, we'll park on this a little bit. And this makes the danger on his path so much more daunting, right? We all have traps on our path. We all have difficulties on our path. What makes it so much worse? It's when you're alone on that path. He's saying, I am in great danger, and no one cares. Verse 3 is the great danger. Verse 4 is the no one cares. And notice how each line in this psalm, in this verse, is just layered on the next one. Look to the right and see. There's no one who takes, care, takes notice of me. No refuge remains for me. No one cares for my soul. Verse 4, the beginning line, look. Who's he talking to? God, right? He's saying, God, look. Look. Why does he say, look to the right? Any, any thoughts there? Michael. I have a reference for that one. Okay. Uh, that takes me to Psalm 16, 8. Mm-hmm. And that verse says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Okay. So what do you think the significance of the right hand is? here would be, he looks to the right where he expects to see God, and he feels like he is forsaken by God. He doesn't see God in his right hand. Okay. And that's shaking him. Yeah, so Psalm 16, verse 8, is, is, the, is the truth that God is at my right hand. Um, here he's saying, look to the right and see. Now, I, I'm not sure if he's in this line saying, God, you're nowhere. I think he might be at least saying the significance of the right hand, really, um, is, is when, you're, when you're in battle, right? Uh, um, the, the, the shield is in your left hand, the sword is in your right. So where's your vulnerable spot? Your right side. So, so where's your defender going to stand? At your right. Okay, so he looks to your right, no one is there. I, saw, I think I saw another hand. Yeah, yeah Bob. It's the guard, that's, what, that's where his security guard is. Yeah. He's on the right hand side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so he, he's saying to God, God, look, notice, see for yourself. Look to the right. There's no one there. 
And what does he say? He says, no one even takes notice of me. Not only is there no one there to help him, there's no one there to defend him, there's no one there to even notice him. If you go to, uh, thinking back to 1 Samuel 23 and 24, mm -hmm. he was by himself. He was. Physically, um, humanly. Yes. At this point, no one is joining him to be a soldier. That's exactly right. He is very much isolated, and, and he's probably sitting there in this dark cave, praying to God, saying, God, look, there's no one. I'm all by myself. Justin. You would also know that he's aware to be the king. Mm -hmm. No right and left. You know, who's going to notice me as a king? There's no one. Right, yeah. Like, I've been anointed. I mean, right. And, and yet, no one even takes notice of me. I, I'm completely invisible. And I'm going through all this trouble. No one's even concerned. No one takes concern of me. Next phrase, no refuge remains. And if, Psalm 20, if 1 Samuel 22 is the background, this actually fits well, right? He just fled from a, a refuge, an enemy city, and even that proved to not be a refuge for him. So nothing remains. He knows that this cave that he finds himself in right now isn't a reliable refuge. No refuge remains. There's no safe place left. No one's defending me. No one even notices me. There's no safe place. And then this last phrase, just the one that kind of punches you in the gut. No one cares for my soul. The word for care carries the idea of, of seeking out for good. No one cares enough to seek me out. So there's nowhere I can turn. No one cares for my soul. When going through difficult and dangerous times, just having someone there with you is such a great comfort. But when you add loneliness to your trial, it can become unbearable. And that is why he's overwhelmed. And his spirit is fainting within him. He's lonely, he's in danger, he's vulnerable. Trials are so much more bearable when there's friends nearby, aren't there, isn't it? The trial's still difficult, it's still hard to go through, but at least you have someone going through it with you. That's often an encouragement that we give ourselves. And I think that's how God designed it. I think God designed it so that comfort is given through the community of believers right? But sometimes you do find yourself in that completely overwhelmed state of loneliness. And if you find yourself in that situation, where is the glimmer of hope? It's in that phrase we find right here in verse 3. You know my way. Even when I'm overwhelmed, even when I'm lonely, you know my way. And so being overwhelmed and alone, David confesses his trust in God and dependence on him, knowing that he is faithful and reliable. It's almost like he takes this little glimmer of hope that we saw right here, and then in verse 5, he fleshes it out, and he expounds on it. That one truth about God. What, when, when you're in a lonely and trying time, where's that ray of truth? Where's that one just 
little glimmer of light that, you, that you're confident in about God. When you're not confident in anything else, focus on that. Meditate on that truth. Explore that truth. And that's what the psalmist does in the rest of, the, the rest of this chapter. God knows my way. And at the beginning of the psalm, he's praying a prayer of lament and complaint. Now at the end of our psalm, beginning of verse 5, what, what, what is he, what's he doing here in verse 5? He's crying, so, so there's a common feature. I cry to you, okay? So we saw that back up here, right here. I cry out, right here again. I cry to you, but is it the same type of cry? Yeah, so, so he's saying, he's crying out to God, just like he was the first, verse 1, but now he's saying, you are my refuge. You are my portion in the land of the living. So, he's exploring, he's meditating on this truth that we see up in verse 3. He's lonely and isolated, and so he cries out to God again, and he says, you are my refuge. Now, Where's the connection? Why does he, where did we see refuge before? Verse four right here. There's no refuge that remains for me, but now, as he considers God, he says, you are my refuge. And is this refuge, it's not a place, is it? It's a person. God is my refuge. So God does not bring you to a place of refuge. God is your refuge. He's realized that people will fail him. People will desert him. But God remains as a refuge for him even when he is left alone. You are my refuge. And during our times of loneliness, that's a, that's a difficult thing to confess to God, that God, you are my refuge. Because sometimes the loneliness and isolation is just too much. And we like to receive some of that refuge from other people. And again, I think God wants us to have that encouragement and refuge with other people. But what about when it's not there? God is my refuge. He says, you are my portion in the land of the living. We've actually seen this phrase in a previous psalm. Does anyone happen to remember, this is, this is a long shot, I'll be really impressed if you remember, when, when portion in the land of the living... Uh, to a Jew, what would they think of when they hear portion in the land of the living? Promised land. The promised land, yeah. So when they, walked into the, when, they, when they got into the promised land, God gave them each a portion, an inheritance. And, and they, they kind of divided up the land into, into different parts. The Levites, did they get a portion of the land? They did not. Who was their portion? God was their portion, right? So I say to God, you are my portion in the land of the living. So, so in, in, in your land, what's my allotment? What's my inheritance? What, what, what's my portion? It's you. And again, if we go back to the fact that David has been anointed king, right? As far as land goes, what is his portion? Or soon to be, what will his portion be? The whole land, right? That's what, he's, that's what he, he knows God has anointed him to be, but is he looking to that for hope? Oh, someday. I'm going to be king. I'm going to be ruling over this whole land, and, and boy, they'll be sorry then. That, that's not where his portion is. His portion is in God. 
Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6, is where we see this elsewhere. It says this, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So while he may not have the community of believers, the physical blessings at this time in his life, God is and always has been his portion. God is with him. God is protecting him. God is guiding him. And really, portion conveys sufficiency, doesn't it? It's all I need. Why would I need more than God himself? And here's the point I want to make with this. That, you know, God wants us to live our lives in, the, in community with each other. Right? We've, we've said before that Christians should not be in isolation. We should not cut ourselves off from the body of believers. That's not how God designed the Christian life. That's not how God designed Christian growth. We need to be with each other. That means that isolation and loneliness is not the ideal. It's outside of that design, right? But our faith must also be sufficient for the times of life when community is impossible. If our faith is dependent solely on community, although that's the ideal and that's what we should be striving for, and, we, and we should, our heart should break when someone is isolated and alone, and we should run to them. What about when Paul was locked in prison? And he wanted to be with the believers, but he couldn't. What about when Jesus was alone and his own disciples fled? When people in church fail or friends leave, is your faith sufficient for those times as well? Are you able to cry out to God and say, you are my refuge and my portion? Right? Loneliness is always a tragedy. But in, in, do we have a faith that if we find ourselves in a place of loneliness, we can cry out to God, we can pour our complaint to him, and we can confess to him, God, you are my portion. Psalm 73, verses, or Psalm 73, 26, again, a verse that we had studied together. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I thought, when I was studying this, I thought of the, the, the old hymn, Our Great Savior, right? Where it says, friends may fail me, foes assail me, he, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior, hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving, he is with me to the end. Can you confess that? Can you cry out to God in faith in those times when you are alone and isolated? Any, any thoughts or questions, comments? Becky? It's possible. It's possible. Um, I, I think sometimes um, when we're forced into a time of loneliness, you know, perhaps against our own will, it's just how things are, are, are playing out, that can be a time where we realize, wow, I, I depended everything on, on other people, right? That I realized my faith in God is actually pretty weak and my faith in other people was pretty strong. And so it's times like that can actually help you grow in your faith toward God alone, right? Any other thoughts? Yes? I think of the persecuted Christians who are mm -hmm. in jail cells or 
see their family leave and they're separated for years. Mm -hmm. and, um, they, that's how they yeah, that's exactly right. Like, our faith needs to be sufficient for any situation, including that. Justin? We see this model of Jesus a lot, too. We do. Being lonely or being our sorrows and these things. It's, and you have truth or no truth, and that truth is being realized or accepted around you. It's a lonely place to be in. Yeah. It feels like, I don't understand what's going on. It's yeah. Just, it's just pretty simple. Yeah. You know, I think Jesus felt that. And he has this example of even crying the Lord in the his yeah. yeah, in fact, the passage for this Sunday in Mark is telling the disciples he will strike the shepherd and the sheep will, sh will scatter. And he tells them, all of you will desert me. And of course, Peter's like, oh no, I won't, right? And, uh, and, and, then, and then they can't even stay awake with him in the garden. They're so weak, right? And so, and then you make another important point, Justin, that, that sometimes loneliness actually comes from being faithful, right? When you are standing for, what, for what's right, when you're standing on the truth, that can often be a lonely place, right? And it's in those times you need to be able to depend on Christ alone for your, for your refuge. Verses six and seven, he, he goes from his confession, his, his confidence in who God is, to his petition. And this is an important sequence because I think confidence in who God is should lead to bold petition. That we should acknowledge who God is and that leads us to bring our requests to him boldly. Our prayer requests stand on the foundation of God's character and his promises. And we see three requests here and each with its own reason to back it up. So we see number one, attend to my cry. We see number two, deliver me from my persecutors. And number three, bring me out of prison. And then here is the, the reason for each one, for, for, and that. So let's go through these requests, these petitions that he gives to God. Number one, attend to my cry. Again, we've seen cry a lot in this, in this psalm. I'm crying out with a loud voice. And so he's asking God, would you pay attention to my loud crying and my lament? Now that's, that's bold. And he's not even saying like, God, would you please just, you know, would you, would you hear? He's like, attend to my cry. What's the reason? For I am brought very low. It's like at the, the, in the depths of the pit, I cry to you. This difficulty has taken everything out of him. He has reached a low point in his life. And he looks around at his situation and thinks, well, things are about, to, are, are, are about as worse as they can get. I've been brought very low. I can't get any lower. So God, would you hear me? Would you attend to my cry? I'm crying with a loud voice to you. I'm pouring out my complaints. Hear me. Petition number two. Deliver me. So we have attend. We have deliver. Deliver me from my persecutors. Because remember, not only is he lonely, we see that kind of reflected in that first request. But I'm in danger. Deliver me from my persecutors. His soul is faint and his way is set with, with traps. We saw that in verses 3 and 4. And why, does, what's the reason for this request? Why is he asking for deliverance? They're too strong. They're too strong for me. 
Not only am I brought to my lowest point, but I'm being overwhelmed by my enemies. All right, so, so just think of just the layering of desperation that he finds himself in. So I'm at the lowest of the low. I am, I am alone, number one, and I am, I'm, I'm completely overwhelmed. And then on top of that, I'm in total danger. And all my enemies are way stronger than me, so I can't fight back. I, you know, if, if, I, if someone were to attack this cave right now, I'm, I'm toast. And so my enemies are stronger than me. I'm going to be overpowered by them. And on top of that, I have no allies. I have no friends to help fight back. It's just him and his enemies are too strong. So he says, God, would you deliver me? You are my refuge. And then the third request, bring me out. Bring me out of prison. Now, is this a literal prison? So what's he, what's he saying here? He's not literally in prison, so what's he conveying? Say that? Is that? An inner prison. We've been, we know what that feels like, right? You feel trapped, right? You're confined to a space that you can't get out of. That's right. And, and, and we can think of prisons in a lot of different ways. It could be that inner prison. You're, you're trapped with your own, your own thoughts, your own inner turmoil. You could feel trapped circumstantially, right? The, the, the circumstances you find yourself in, you're just, it's like you're cornered. And it feels like whichever choice you make in this time is just a, a brick wall. And so you feel like you're in prison. No place to turn, no one to turn to. Enemies are too strong, I'm too weak. And why does he want God to bring him out of prison? So yeah, go ahead, Mike. This feels like a pretty solid uh, parallel to verse 4. There's none who takes notice of me and takes my cry. There's no refuge remains to me. Deliver me from my persecutors. No one cares for my soul. Bring me out of this inner darkness prison that I'm in. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost he's taking his lament in verse 4, and he's turning those into requests, right? And again, good pattern for our prayer. You pour out your complaint, you bring your laments to God, you describe in detail the, the, the danger you're in, and then you turn those into requests based off of what? The character of God and who he is. And what's the reason? Why does he want to be brought out of prison? I want to give thanks to your name. I want to give you glory. God, would you bring me out of this place because I want to praise you for your faithfulness. What a great reason for your request. God, I want to show others how good you are. Be faithful to me in this prison that I'm in. Hear my prayer, deliver me, bring me out, and what will I do? I will declare to others what you have done. I will give you all the praise. We see these three requests. Look at the last half of verse 7. Is this a request? It's not. This is an expression of faith. The righteous will surround me. Why is that such a significant phrase? It's an expectation. And, and, and what's his current situation? He is lonely. He's isolated. What's he expecting? I'm going to be surrounded by the righteous again. The petition he asks earlier is, God, will you do this? 
And then he concludes by, with confidence saying, God, you will do this. So what's David confident about? He says, the righteous will surround me. Again, we saw earlier that isolation is not the design. While God had David isolated in this season of his life while he was in the cave, God wants us among his people. And here we see a, t- a return to this ideal. God's faithfulness to him would be shown through his return to the community of believers. How do we know that? The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. This line is the reason or the cause of that line. Because you're dealing bountifully with me, it will result in the righteous surrounding me. You know, as a side note, perhaps he wasn't as alone as he felt. Right? Perhaps he felt in that moment, I am the only righteous one. It reminds me of Elijah when he was on the run from Queen Jezebel. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he says, I alone, I alone am left. And God says, I have, I, have, I have kept aside a whole bunch. I can't remember the number. How much was it? Anyone remember? 7,000 7, uh, who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And as he praises God for being with him in his time of isolation and for his deliverance, the community of believers will surround him. He will be reunited to believers because God will have already dealt bountifully with him. And I think there's a connection from that line to this line. Because I think he wants his praise, his thanks to be public. He wants others to see. And he says, someday there's going to be, I'm going to be surrounded by by my fellow believers, and I will give thanks to your name in that context. Again, consider the fact that he's expressing this confidence before it is even realized. He's still lonely, isn't he? He's still isolated. He's still overwhelmed. His soul is still faint within him. And yet he knows God will be faithful. He will deal bountifully. This is implying God is not dealing bountifully with me right now but he will. Connection to the context. If it's true that the setting for the psalm is 1 Samuel 22, what do we see happen next after he's been in the cave? What you got to hear about it. And tell me. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, his family is the first one. Right? So, so verses 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel 22, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adalon. <laughs> And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And then everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them and there were with him about 400 men. I wonder, again, if this is the context for this song that he's crying out, I'm isolated, I'm alone. But God, you will deal bountifully with me, and one day I'll be, I will be surrounded by the righteous. Right? And he's praying this, right? and then he looks over the horizon out the little hole of the cave, and he sees his father, and you know, family members come, and then he sees all these bitter, grumbling guys come, and you know, all these you know, angry, you know, disillusioned people come and <laughs> surround him. Not necessarily the righteous surrounding him, but you know, people that, uh, that I think felt probably that same isolation and that same difficulty that he did. And he was able to, he was able to lead them, to be commander over them. 
So it's almost like an immediate answer to his prayer. And then we know ultimately, when he is anointed in king, that, 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 that this, is, this prayer is, is answered um, completely. So what are some applications for us from Psalm 142? I think first of all, we need to ask ourselves the question, how is your faith exercised in times of loneliness and isolation? Is it exercised at all? Or does isolation kind of kill your faith? Do you equate the abandonment of other people with the abandonment of God? And I think that what we're seeing in this passage is our faith must be effective even in times of loneliness, even though it's not the ideal. It's not how it should be. But God is sufficient. Dennis. I think sometimes isolation will drive you to seek other people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that... If you're lonely and there's a church by and he's working on you, he's going to drive you into that church. That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and oftentimes when we are lonely, we're like, ah, oh, I'm all alone. And God's telling you, here we go. It's right there, right? And oftentimes, you know, Hannah and I were talking even earlier that even in the church, we can experience loneliness, thinking I'm the only one who's lonely, and then you realize that there's like a lot of other people in the church that are feeling the same way. And, uh, and it actually is a matter of just reaching out. And then when you reach out, you know what? You see, realize that other people start reaching out too. And uh, we don't want to be a church that we're where we're lonely together, you know what I mean? Like we're all here, but we're also like super lonely at the same time. How do we, how do we, how do we get there, right? How do, we, how do we keep that from happening? Well, I think, number one, it's just being, it's being honest with each other. It's, it's, it's loving each other. It's being transparent with each other. And, 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 and reaching out in times of need rather than keeping it to ourselves. I love that he goes back to what I said a little while ago about truth and truth to yourself. Yeah. Bring those, bring those complaints, bring that lament to him. Um, and, and, and if there's just one little sliver of truth that, that you know is true, right? You're wondering, like, man, is God, is God going to help me? Is God going to answer this prayer, right? You don't know the answer to those things. But the one thing you do know, this little sliver of truth you know is God is aware. God knows. God sees. And so what does he do? He just fleshes that out. He zones in on that, and he, he explores that. He meditates on it. Right? Christian meditation is actually the infusion of truth into your life. Or oftentimes, meditation in our culture is what? It's emptying yourself of everything. Christian meditation is the exact opposite. It's, it's filling yourself with God's truth. So how, does your faith exor- is, how is it exercised in times of isolation? 
And I think oftentimes we, we're, we can be so concerned with the situation that we fail to re- ask ourselves, what might God be showing me about him during this time? Lean on God's presence in those moments, all the while fully expressing your overwhelmed spirit to God with loud crying and tears. I think another application for us is we must see the gift of community. While I think this shows us faith in isolation, it also shows us the joy of being with the righteous, being with each other. We must surround each other. When you feel overwhelmed and isolated, do you cry out to others for help? Cry out to God anytime, day or night. God's also given you a community. When you see someone overwhelmed and isolated, do you go to them? Kind of like how David's brothers and family did. When they heard about it, they went to him. We should never be okay with isolation. We can be, we can be content in it if it's what God has for us. We can say, God, I'm trusting you in this time of isolation. I long for the day when it's over, but I'm trusting you in it. We should definitely not tolerate it in the lives of those around us. When you see someone who's isolated or lonely, do you kind of sit back and like, well, I hope they get their lives together, or do you go to them? But even in those unavoidable moments of isolation, we know that God's faithfulness is sufficient. He is my refuge, even when every other source of refuge fails. He is my portion in the land of the living, and that's what we can have confidence in, comfort in, and assurance in. Any? Yes, Paul. A phrase I'm thinking of that you kind of alluded to is being lonely in a crowd. Mm -hmm. That is a common occurrence. Just because we are with other people doesn't mean we're actually experiencing community with other people. We have some time here. How do we, how do we get that? Justin. Focusing on the truth. So, you know, you said earlier, sometimes people are lonely because of truth. <coughs> right. What did he want? He wanted people to accept, obey, and, and be excited about that truth. And that's the best way, mm-hmm. to go the truth together and rally around them. Yeah, the church, you know, when, when we see the church described in the New Testament, what is the rallying point? What's the unifying point? It's Christ. It's, it's the truth of his word, right? Becky. I think it's also important that we focus on others. You know, when we're lonely mm-hmm. and when we get isolated, we shouldn't be focusing on ourselves. Yes. Yeah, so, and this, 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 is, this could be one way that you end up getting lonely in a crowd. Because when you're lonely, just like Becky described, you are kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're focused on that situation. I feel lonely. And if everyone in the crowd is in that same situation, then where's everyone's attention? On themselves, right? And so it actually takes some faith. It takes some trust in God, even when you're discouraged and lonely and isolated, to, to say, God, help me, help me reach out. And I think when you take that step, you, you realize that's when you notice all these lonely people around you, right? Rebecca? I would say um, 
it's interesting because David's lonely and he's not like hiding that emotion, right? He's not yeah. just clamming it up and saying, you know, God's good, everything's fine. Right. Right? Which I think is one side of the ditch to fall into. Right. But then he's also expecting that he won't be like this forever at the end, right? Mm-hmm. To have that glimmer of hope. Yes. And I think if we're lonely in a crowd, if we're looking at God and saying, I know you're faithful, I know you will have people around me, I know, you know, you're now going to be expectantly looking right. for God answering that prayer because mm-hmm. you have faith that God is going to answer that prayer. Yeah. So if you're looking for it, you'll find it. And so it just kind of becomes the snowball effect. Right. I think. And if you're not looking for it, oftentimes you actually miss yes. when there are people yeah. connecting with you, right? Yeah, so we use the word community, but in my mind, I say body. Because, yes. Because when I get to those points, I say, well, yeah, but, but what part of the body am I? Mm-hmm. And what is God doing in me that is going to actually be something for some other part in the body? That's right. And so it turns my thoughts from being me to, okay, what is God wanting me to do to someone else? And yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul tells us, no one should say, no member of the body should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm of no use to the body. What's that? That's loneliness, right? I, I'm not this, I'm of no use to the rest of this body. And the, the encouragement is, that does not make you any less part of the body. You're still connected to the body. You still have a function in the body. And so in, instead of saying, I'm of no use, you actually serve your function in the body and, 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 then, and then join in the, the unity of, of the church. Absolutely. Yes? Um, I've, in the last two years, I've actually experienced a deep Rebecca knows me as well. Mm-hmm. My husband died two years ago. Mm-hmm. So dealing with that aspect and then, yes, because not having my family here with me to walk me through it was a level of loneliness, isolation that I've never experienced mm-hmm. before in my life. Um, it's good and it's bad being in loneliness. It's good in the sense that you really do have no other option but to push into God and see God for who he is. Right? Um, we see him as omnipotent, savior, but there's a level of, um, what's the word, of <laughs> There's a level of personalness that comes from knowing who, who God really is yeah. in those times of loneliness. At the same time, being a per- an introvert, reaching out to people is not exactly my forte. Yeah. It's like hard, to be honest. Yeah. And I would say in the last six months, especially in the last month as I had to kind of handle a certain level of my mental health, mm-hmm. I've been more open mm-hmm. and I've actually reached out to people and told them, let me just be frank. <coughs> especially when they say, hey, how are you? So she's texting me now to go over and she's like, how are you? And I'm like, well, to be honest, not too good. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> and then we just started talking and I told her, certain things. Similarly, with some other friends, very specific friends that God has said, you can trust them. Mm-hmm. Because not everybody can handle your story sure. in a delicate manner. Right. So, um, it's, it's loneliness is very prevalent. Mm. It is more prevalent than more people <coughs> want to really um, acknowledge, especially in the church. Yeah. 
Because as a widow, I anticipated certain things yeah. that in all frankness did not come through. So I had to turn my eyes to the person who could really give me what I needed, and yeah. that really was Christ. Yeah. You know, so isolation is it's good and it's bad. Yeah. It just really depends how you're going to balance it out. But I would say to the people who are going through that, be honest. Mm-hmm. Tell God what you need. And mm-hmm. it's, it's unreal how he just says, well, for right now, this is the person who's going to help you with this, and then this person's going to help you. And the next thing you know, you have a community yeah. that you, it's small, right. but it's impactful. And at the same time, you're now doing for them during their times of need what they needed for you. Yeah. And now you're not as isolated as you. Yeah, and, and one thing I really, a couple, t- couple things I really appreciate what you said is, is how having the honesty about the loneliness, you see that in this psalm, right? He, he's, he's not bashful about how lonely he is. And, and sometimes people don't reach out to you in your loneliness because you never let anyone know that you're lonely. And, uh, and, and it, sometimes it just takes that moment of honesty, and, and, and it's the first step. Justin? Right, I love last week, the, the psalm that you did last week, where it says that God knows the most of Yeah. And that's why when you are going through things like this, to know that the Lord has numbered them, and they mark and you're remarkably made, and all these things, it's not true that will help the person here. Yeah. And then that's true, will also find people to, to what's going on in those lives. Yeah. And, uh, and that's where healing is, and that's where loneliness can be healed. Mm-hmm. It's through that, through the knowing that God is, uh, is all powerful, like you said, but mm-hmm. also that He's marked these days and that they're not just for us, but something happens to have love. Yeah. And then the style is actually, because I looked it up, I'm curious, it's actually a meditation. Mm-hmm. It's intended to give an impartation of wisdom. Mm-hmm. So in essence, David in this in this this one and even in the last song, which I love, um, is basically saying, I'm going through this. Yeah. And I know someone else is gonna go through this. Let me write down yeah. what I experienced so that when that person goes through this, they can find the same strength in those moments of isolation with that glimmer, with mm-hmm. that hope. Because that you know, God really will come. Well, and sadly, we're out of time, but it's a wonderful discussion, and I hope, I hope helpful as we all seek to be that community to each other and ultimately place our faith in God when we find ourselves in those times of isolation. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, this wonderful truth, and I pray that, again, as we often pray, that this would not just be some academic exercise, um, but that this would, we take this to heart and it would actually change how we exercise our faith even the rest of this week. Um, give us eyes for who you are and what you're doing in our lives and that our faith would be active in our response to you. 
even in times of loneliness. We thank you for your love for us.